0: Before we get started, I want to tell you about my friends at Lean Solutions Group. Lean works with over 500 logistics and transportation companies in North America. You can describe Lean as a nearshoring company or a workforce optimization company, but as a customer, I describe Lean as a strategic partner who can help me win in a very competitive industry. They can quickly provide your company with top talent in operations, sales, marketing, Technology and business process outsourcing. They have over 9,000 employees in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, and the Philippines. Everyone is working with LSG. You need to check out the link in the show notes. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is Unlocking Logistics Profits with my friend Matt McKinney. Matt is co-founder and CEO of Loop, a modern transportation audit and pay company. Loops AI-driven platform removes payment friction in the supply chain to unlock margins and increase liquidity. If you want a little more margin and cash flow, and who doesn't? Please check out my conversation with Matt McKinney. How's it going, Matt? Joe, it's good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. And you've got for those of you watching the video, he's got such a cool view. You've got like the best backdrop. And I thought it was fake, it was so cool. <laughs> but it's what building is that behind
1: you there in Chicago land? I'm not sure what exact building, but we're on LaSalle and Wacker. We're proud to be founded and headquartered in Chicago.
0: Matt, please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today.
1: Hi, I'm Matt McKinney. I'm the founder and CEO of Loop, and I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois.
0: You got that cool backdrop in it with some skyscrapers. So Matt, there is a different Loop. Differentiate between you and the other Loop.
1: (laughs) We are Loop dot com which is a modern audit and pay company and i believe you're referring to the other loop which is a loop returns you guys should go get together and arm
0: wrestle for the name (laughs) it's a great name (laughs) so but
1: anyway uh what does what do you guys do loop really our mission is we're unlocking profit that's trapped in the supply chain and uh the, the fundamental issue is that companies have unnecessary costs and their working capital is tied up because of one core issue. Their invoice costs don't actually match their contracted costs. And there are a couple of different reasons why, but the main reason why is the paper problem. You've got Bloomberg just did an article, 4 billion pieces of paper floating around in global trade on any single day.
0: We're not digital yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, not close. And the other one is you've got complex contracts. And Joe, you've seen a freight contract before. You, you need a PhD in freight billing to even know what is going on here. And then all of this is magnified with manual workflows. And people are human. They make mistakes. They can't actually get down to that level to be able to perform an action without a mistake.
0: Yeah, I'm from automotive originally. So I spent most of my career in automotive. And when I came into logistics. I was always a customer of logistics. So I was in my forties, late forties, and I knew how things should run. I was an ops guy at heart, right? That's what I'd done. I'd done engineering, manufacturing, ops. And then when I came to logistics, it all made sense until we started talking about auditing. And you just said, I would always say it's auditing, is just quoted versus invoice. And it's that simple. Those two numbers the same. And it is shocking how many are not the same. And not only shocking, to me, to this day, I find it just inappropriate, not acceptable. I, I, I It makes no sense to me. Now, I understand sometimes there's going to be detention. There's going to be an extra cost in less than truckload which is its own very bad animal. Sometimes with the, the pricing is weird. They baked complexity into it, which caused a lot of distrust and lots of need for auditing, but small parcel has some of the same problems. There's 50 different services and (laughs) it was supposed to be there by noon, but it doesn't get there till one. That's an audit, right? Yeah.
1: We actually, Joe, we found that up to 20% of invoices will have some kind of error and That contributes to it taking about 50 days on average to actually process and pay an invoice,
0: 50 days. Yeah. I said that unacceptable. That is totally unacceptable in today's world. And here's another thing that I think is so weird and we've all seen it. A truck delivers on a Friday. It's supposed to be $1,800 and you're like, okay, I guess it delivered. We got the proof of delivery. And then 30, 60 days later, they say, oh, there was detention. It's an extra $800, an extra $300, whatever it is. And you're like, you knew that on Friday. Why are you, why? So I have no remembrance of that shipment, nor does anyone on my team. It just pops up. I I feel, honestly, how I feel about that is you have, (laughs) until somebody tells me differently, you tell me that day or it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. The the real issue is what you're saying is there's friction. And That friction is not free because to process the friction, we have to staff up bodies and bodies are expensive. We've got inflation with labor and other costs. And guess who's paying for that? If 3PLs and carriers, they have to increase their costs because they have more people in the back office or they're now waiting 60 days instead of 30 days to get paid, that Capital is no longer free. We no longer live in a zero interest rate environment. Rates are at seven percent, so every single day really matters. And in some of our customers' cases, that's millions of dollars a day that they have to wait to get paid in, ter- in terms of the interest. So it's a it's a huge problem. Do you work with
0: shippers or do you work with uh, carriers and three pls? Who do you work with?
1: So we serve shippers and three pls today. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as creating value for everyone in the ecosystem. So we, we do think of carriers as core stakeholders, but the primary two customers that we saw we serve today are shippers and, and 3PLs.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that friction and that it could cost certain customers, high volume shippers, millions of dollars, a million dollars a, a day. I would say another big thing, maybe even more costly is the distrust that you build into your system. If Matt, if I move something for you today and it was supposed to be $2,500 and then 30 days later, I was like, oh, actually, Matt, there was a whole bunch of, there was detention on that and it's an extra $400. Um, you don't trust me as much. You say, I don't know, maybe Joe's telling the truth, but maybe it's just, that's a scam. It's it causes a whole bunch of now, next time we're working together, you're like, what's going to go on here? And again, I'm not against paying people for detention, we should, but those should be communicated immediately and we got to update our systems, but we don't do that yet. That's where we need a tool like yours.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Look, it's, I think that one, one thing that we don't really think about because supply chain logistics is really behind the scenes and you even take that further with audit and pay being in the back office of behind the scenes people don't understand the impact that friction creates on them every single day because if a carrier or a 3PL they have to charge more for their service to Mr. Coca-Cola Mr. Coca-Cola now is having to pay more for transportation and if they have to pay more for transportation guess what they're going to have to charge more for Coca-Cola so it's it's highly inflationary for us as consumers in America on what actually happens in the back office and everyone has the incentive to remove that friction, and that's why really, we're really empowering all stakeholders all stakeholders here in this transaction to eliminate the friction.
0: I love it. I love it, Matt. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Loop, and then also, why did you start Loop?
1: I would love to. I grew up in a very small town in Tennessee. Small, zero stoplights, and with zero stoplights, we had about. 2000 people, there wasn't much to do. And I lived on a farm and I got into racing dirt bikes, end up racing motocross competitively and to race competitively, I had to travel. So I was homeschooled and you can imagine what a 14 year old on a dirt bike does. They do things that lead to injury. And I had, I had a bad wreck and I broke both of my femurs. Oh, And so I kept, Picture this, I'm homeschooled, 14 year old. I broke both my femurs. I can't do anything. My life is at that racetrack. My identity is at that racetrack. And I'm stuck at home in a town with 2000 people being homeschooled. And so my mom comes home one day from work and I'm laid up in the bed and I have a a book on computer programming. And she says, what are you reading? I said, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to code. And it's funny because that skill set is what enabled me to build my first business because I, this is really pre Shopify. And I started hearing companies talk about, Oh, I would love to have a website, but it's just too expensive, or I don't know how to do it. And as an entrepreneur, what what are you raising your hand saying, Oh, I can do that. I know how to do that. There's a gap in the market. I can create this product that closes that gap. And so I, I started my first company building websites. And then helped other companies. They said, look, I want to sell my goods on this thing called the internet. Can you help me? So we started building e-commerce websites. And before you know it, I have a cash flow generating business that enabled me to go to USC and pay for my tuition there and and more. And I, I just got hooked on entrepreneurship, solving problems, selling a solution and, and really getting to work closely with businesses across America to understand how we can help them make better decisions and how to sell their product more efficiently.
0: Nice. You went to USC. What did you study there? I studied engineering. Oh, smart, smart. So you can ride dirt. When you think of a, a kid in Tennessee growing up on a farm, riding mo- mini bikes, dirt bikes, motocross, you don't think, oh, that's a guy who's going to USC to code, study engineering.
1: <laughs> I love, to be honest with you, I loved understanding how things work from a very... Early age, even in my dirt bikes, I did a lot of my own mechanic work, changing the cylinders, the pistons, carburetors. So I always was a tinkerer. It was just I was a tinkerer in the physical world, and then when I developed a skill set of being a tinker in the digital world, that unlocked all new possibilities because mm-hmm. I I didn't need capital in the same way that you need capital in the physical world to be a tinker. Oh yeah, and I'm. And
0: I imagine growing up on a farm, you don't have a
1: choice whether you have a good work ethic. It comes with the territory. (laughs) You have to. You have to have a very high pain tolerance. (laughs) Yes. So tell us a
0: little bit, where'd you go to, where was your first job?
1: Tell us a little about your career. So my first job, I joined a company as a a data scientist out of school because what I learned when I had uh, launched my business is that it's great to build e-commerce companies, but Every single question my clients were asking was, how can you help me more with my data? I need to understand my profitability of each SKU. These are all data questions and you can see the internet just generating more and more data. And so I I had this conviction that the next phase here of the economy is really going to be an information economy in the sense that who has the data will win. And so I, I wanted to develop not just a software engineering skill set, but also a, a data science skill set. And so launched them to a company called Dayalot and made my way eventually to Uber, where I was on the freight team called Uber Freight, and I oh, met wow. so many amazing people there. We got to work on some of the most interesting problems that I'd ever worked on in my career. Tons of data, a lot of activity, and working with really amazing shippers and carriers across the ecosystem. And my now co-founder, Shao Su, who by the way, is, just, is infamous at Uber for being on the founding team of surge pricing, which if you've ever been to a concert or been in a rainstorm and, and had a hundred dollar Uber bill, that would be my co-founder, Shao Su, but he was very early at Uber Freight. And one of the pain points that we had at Uber Freight was billing payment, paying and getting paid. And that's a core part of the business. And what we recognize is that we were focused on the wrong problem. We were focused on how can we grow our revenue as quickly as possible when our back of the house wasn't in order, um, primarily the back office. And we'd heard that theme when we talked to customers as well. Their back office wasn't in order. And you talked to other brokers and their back office wasn't in order. They've got teams and teams of people. And it might be outsourcing it to a a service provider, a freelance-based service provider that's doing this offshore. So it was just a messy problem. And as an entrepreneur, you you get hooked on other people's pain. You want to solve that. You see the opportunity, and that's really what led to the creation of Loop. So when did you guys start? We were founded in 2021. Oh wow! So you've, <laughs> you started during the pandemic. Congrats.
0: <laughs> We've been busy. Yeah, before we hit record, I was telling you, I was, giving, I was out by my soapbox and I was telling you when I sold logistics service, I was at a 3PL, very good one. And we did mostly less than truckload. And one of the things we would tell our customers was, we would ask, I should say, is, do you do freight audit? And we got like, oh yeah, maybe. And I came to the conclusion there was three answers. One was no, we don't. and And, and at that point, they're leaving money on the table. So we'd say, we'll save you that money. Number two is you could go to a company, and I'm not against these kind of companies, that but they would say, we will find the problems for you. So they find a $500 overbill, and a lot of those companies say, we'll give you 250 back, we keep 250. The incentives are a little off there in my mind, That's because right. they don't want it ever to go away because they want that 250 bucks. And then the last way we would say is a 3PL, or we'll do it for free. now companies like that, but freight brokers, three pills that even though it is one of the services they provide, it is not, not something they, they necessarily focus. It's not their main focus. Their main focus, is getting you a truck, tracking trucks and getting a good price. And it, sometimes I think you bump into a conflict of interest there, right? They're not interested in finding <laughs> the savings if it takes it out of their pocket and puts it in yours. So you have a third, a fourth option. So talk about that fourth
1: option. Yeah, look, we when we were at Uber, we, we realized this is fundamentally a data problem. And going back to that friction, you've got what we call supply chain 1.0, where you've got rigid systems, you've got manual workflows, and you've got siloed data. The most innovative companies that we're working with now, they're living in supply chain 2.0. And supply chain 2.0 is all about flexible systems, automated workflows, and unified data. And so if you're living in a a 1.0 world, you've got to get out of that world. And you can't do that alone. You really do need partners, not service providers, but technology leaders as partners to help you with that transition to supply chain 2.0. And that's really what, loop was built on. We are a a product of supply chain 2.0, where we have software that automates a lot of this, that collects all this data from all these disparate data sources and structures it and standardizes it so that you can do an automated audit and pay process so that you can focus more of your time on the value added work and less of your time on the manual work. That's creating a lot of work, but also a lot of time in time, especially in a higher interest rate environment, time is money. Money is not free anymore.
0: And we all have to do more with less. But one of the consistent themes on my podcast is as the baby boomers retire, there's just going to be fewer people. We already are bumping into labor shortages. And also I have two daughters, they're in the workforce and they expect more out of their job than what I did when I was their age. At my, at, when I was their age, if I had to do boring work. I did it. <laughs> I was asked to do it. I didn't think I was entitled to more. <laughs> I'm not, this isn't a okay boomer thing. It's just people are, the younger people are saying, I have options and I will take them. If you put me in a job where I have to sit and crunch through Excel spreadsheets and a whole bunch of different systems to find $50 savings.
1: Yeah. I'll give you a, one of our customers, Great Dane trailers, large Trailer oh, yeah. manufacturer, you, you've seen the Danes on the road, and before they started with Loop, hundred percent of their invoices were touched manually, and it had paper payments. And you know that now with Loop, I think they have two percent of invoices being touched and uh, launching the, the electronic payments with them. And their CFO said, "Loop helped turn my team from processors into analysts, and people don't." want to do processing type work. They want to be analysts. They want to be strategic. And their employers should also want them to be analyst and strategic because that's where the real value lives. That's where you can truly have a key to unlock profit that's trapped in your supply chain.
0: Oh yeah, I think I have been that processor in the past. And after a while, you don't have the context for the, what you're processing. So if somebody says, hey, you just saved the company $10,000, you'd just be like, I just processed four, four, four sets of invoices. That's all I did. You don't, and you don't look at. You're not looking for trends. You're not looking for ways to fix the system so it doesn't happen anymore. You're just like, oh, I just process, and that's not the skill sets people want to have, and it's also not the skill sets we want in our in our teams. I want, yeah, I want those analysts.
1: <laughs> yeah, and look, we a large three PL we're working with. One of the reasons why they chose Lube was they have an aging workforce and they had about 65 people in the back office doing this type of work manually. They were having recruiting problems to find people to replace the aging workforce that was entering retirement. And the, guess what the people that were aging, because they had all of this up here in their head, they had tribal knowledge that hadn't been codified into a system. And so you have to retrain every single individual that comes on board. If you can get them to come on board, you have a ramp period. That's not like you can just turn a switch and they're plugged in and they're doing all this work manually. So we're at a very interesting time where technology is really driving a lot of the decisions that people are making at an executive
0: level. I think five, seven years ago, if I was to say this, I would have said, mostly when you get young people into a job, they quickly say, can't we, isn't there a system for this? Isn't there a technology for this? Now I would say, Everybody says that. So you get a, you get, I could get my 80-something-year-old mom and she'd say, but shouldn't the technology take care of this? should not there a system for this? That's our expectation now is that, and by the way, I say it all the time, we are spoiled by really awesome consumer technology. I'll call it consumer-grade technology. So when you've got Facebook on your phone and X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, I, I order pizzas and Domino's, I have eBay, Amazon, really elegant, awesome technologies. And then I go to work and somebody says, the only way to do this is with Excel spreadsheets and we'll fax you over some of the other stuff. And then there's two systems you look at be like, no, there's gotta be
1: something else. And what you're telling me
0: is the something else is loop.
1: (laughs) That's right. Yeah. look, it's the paper problem, the manual workflow problem. There's so much friction that people are dealing with and as a 3PL Right now, especially in this higher interest rate environment, if it's taking you five to six days to get your invoices out to your customers, it's five to six days of working capital at a 7% interest rate. And so even if you have the people to do it, they can't do it. Those people can't do it as fast as technology can, period. Yep. I want to take
0: a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on wreaths across America radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. armed forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. Getting back to it, before we hit record, I wrote down some notes we were talking, and I talked about problems you solved, and you said something about st- structuring data. Please explain.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I look at. A little bit of a blessing and a curse of this business is it was co-founded by a data scientist. And like I mentioned, the, the fundamental problem that we found was a data problem. And a lot of the companies in this space, they're solving problems, but they're actually treating the symptom, not the root cause. And you mentioned a gain share model where you find $500, you might keep $250 and give that $250. The incentives aren't aligned our vision was we want to eliminate the friction. so we want to take that all out of the system. We don't want to keep any percentage of the findings because then our incentive is to keep the findings and not structurally correct the issue. And so to structurally correct the issue, you have to place your premium on your data and your data is living in spreadsheets. Your data is living in PDFs. It's living in photos of PDFs. It's living in messy EDI. And sometimes if you're lucky. JSON API, you really need a unification of that data to do anything with it. And if you can't get it from where it is in all these different siloed data, siloed data stores, but also in all these different data formats that are non-standard, guess what? No one has the same standard. Then you're not going to be able to drive downstream automation. You're not going to be able to drive working capital improvements. And that's really what loops is about on the data front.
0: Yeah. And by the way, when you talked about stuff being in Excel spreadsheets or being in a PDF, I've always thought of that as static. I can't use it. But as soon as I put it into a field and now it can start being part of what I'll call it's dynamic now. Now it can be part of a trend. Now I can actually gain value from those numbers because they're not trapped in
1: a static. They're not stuck in yeah, in no go mode. <laughs> I'll give you. a I minute. Mean, we work with a, a really large industrial shipper, and they were working with a, a, a an incumbent service provider, and they were managing two hundred and fifty thousand invoice exceptions a month. They had a t- a team of freight audit and pay specialists on that. Yeah, and that's a major issue because then you if you can't work through them. You're getting late payment fees from carriers. It's deteriorating your carrier relationships. It's just a mess. I all. can't imagine that work. Yeah. It, it, it's hard. Somebody's got to go home and somebody says,
0: the cocktail party, what do you do? Oh, we get 250,000 of these
1: and I process
0: 40,000 a month, whatever it is.
1: It's wild. But it, in this case, we found that it was fundamentally a data problem. It was poor quality data upstream that was creating all of these exceptions.
0: Please get into a little more detail there. Who who created the wrong, the upstream data that wasn't
1: correct? What could be as it's coming in. So for, I'll just give you one example. You might have one carrier labeling an accessorial one way. like let's call it fuel surcharge. I'm just making this up. You've got another carrier that's calling it FSC. You've got another carrier that's calling it fuel. Right. Okay. How do you get an aggregated view for fuel surcharge? How much are you actually paying for fuel? Unless you have an analyst that's normalizing that data and saying, if it comes from carrier A, it's this, it comes from carrier B. And then now you magnify that they're working with 300 carriers. So you've got a very, and then the carrier changes the field type. And so now all of this is creating exceptions downstream for your freight audit pay team that you might have in-house. You're cleaning up dirty data at the same time. That's
0: right. I've said this before on my podcast. i I think anyone who's worked in the freight business, you get uh, an Excel spreadsheet, it's got thousands of lanes. And just to say 98% are pretty straightforward. Here's the pickup, here's the delivery, here's the weight, here's the, here's the um, number of pallets, whatever the information is. And then about 2% are incomplete. And some of them make no sense where you're like, it says that they paid a hundred bucks for this. There's no shipment for a hundred bucks you're like, these are just, this is just dirty, useless data. And by the way, when there's a whole bunch of acquisitions, which are normal for big, CVGs, you might have 20 locations and they might have 10 different ways of labeling something. So one calls these Chi Chi beans. The other one calls them garbanzo beans, same thing, but different categories. And you guys would say, we we will clean up your dirty data so we can start using it rather than having to process it.
1: Yeah. Or look, if there's missing data from one artifact, let's say an EDI, but we get a bill of lading and we're digitizing and extracting data from that bill of lading, we can supplement the missing data on that EDI from the bill of lading data that we capture so that it doesn't make it so rigid to where if something is missing, it's throwing an exception every single time. We use the power of all the data we collect to triangulate and infer what is actually the data point that this system needs to enable the downstream workflow to take place.
0: So do you guys sell this as a software?
1: We sell it as a software, correct. Software as a service. So I'm assuming there's a very
0: nice ROI with this software, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, we target anywhere from five to seven times ROI, depending on if you're a shipper or or a 3PL. How soon at that five to seven? We target our time to value within four to eight weeks after go live. So we focus heavily, not just on the ROI, but the time to value to get ROI. And that's one of the main differentiators that we have from other providers in the space is because of how we've architected our technology, it enables us to be flexible in onboarding so that you can unlock value as fast as possible on the platform.
0: I've been saying this a lot lately in my podcast. I've, I've used transportation management systems, lots of different ones that people will say, if you talk to the TMS makers, they will say, oh, you want that? You guys are creating a manual report? No need. We will create it right from the system. And I, by the way, I shook my head, yes. Like, hallelujah, that's going to save us so much time. What I quickly realized is it's not a TMS problem. In many cases, it's a data problem. They can't help the fact that you have bad data, bad lane stuff that maybe should have been deleted, duplicates, whatever in the system. And as a result, you can't do it that way. Basically, what has to happen is somebody has to go in and clean it all up, then you can automate a report. And all the systems in the world don't help if you have bad data inside those systems this garbage
1: in garbage out is just as true today as it was 25 years ago that's exactly supply chain 1.0 because <laughs> if you, if you think of if you think of a transaction you have two sides of that transaction you have a sales order and you have a purchase order two sides same transaction well you have a separate system running the purchase order side from the sales order side so completely different systems with completely different standards, with completely different processes. And so when it comes time to reconcile, you've gotta be lucky that everything perfectly matches and all the data is completely, and then guess what? The supply chain is the real world. We're talking about one of the most complicated oh, and yeah. messy industries out there. And so the probability that you've got your online and offline data all present and beautiful across both of these systems, and these two systems can communicate. So when the actual transaction happens and the load is delivered, that you can clear the transaction in real time, it just doesn't happen because of living in supply chain
0: 1.0. Yeah, the nature of that, you can your example, sales order, purchase order. Sales order might have a salesman's name and might have a sales contact's name and it has the address where that sales contact is. The purchase order is where it's being delivered and might have the operations manager on it. So somebody says, oh, this data doesn't agree with each other. It does. It's just, it's the other side of the coin.
1: <laughs> exactly. And then you might have to have your supplier comply with putting data in a specific place on the bill of lading or including a, a special data point. And so now you add an additional person that has to check and make sure that data point is where it should be on that bill of lading for this specific customer, which adds more friction, more cost, passes along that cost. To you and me as consumers
0: yep one other thing you mentioned to me before we hit record you were talking about this idea of total cost visibility
1: at the SKU level how do you do that <laughs> it goes back to the data and the granularity of the data that we're collecting so that we have now a complete understanding of the cost all the way down to an atomic level and with that we can start allocating the cost to different units and one unit might be the SKU level. That's very important because what we have found is that a lot of companies understand where their revenue comes from, but not a lot of companies understand their cost.
0: Yeah. And we, were, we talked about this before we hit record. And I think it's an interesting, I always use sweaters as an example. Let's just say I shipped 200 sweaters to a store, different sizes, obviously different colors, and then they don't all sell. Some go on sale and then some get returned to me. The ones that didn't sell, they come back to me, those weren't profitable, obviously. But do we have the ability to say, what percentage of that freight was this, right? So there was return freight, but there was on the way there. And I think for a long time, we just said that was that freight cost was across these, this number. But it gets very dirty very quickly when you said, yeah, there were, now there's returns. Uh, 200 went, 20 came back, 20 more. We're sold at a reduced price. Now tell me my cost per
1: unit. <laughs> and then you can make decisions on, should we actually be carrying the SKU? Is it actually as profitable as we thought? Should we have this customer that we thought we were making all this money in, but when we factored every cost that we had into it at that level, we actually were losing money on the customer. I've had
0: multiple people on my podcast say over time that many retailers are not making money on stuff at their store. But it's so difficult to get that level of granularity on the logistics side, which might be a warehousing and uh, delivery to that location. And again, it's if I don't get stuff at the skew level, how am I ever going to make good decisions?
1: And again, this is, these are very difficult businesses we're talking about. Yeah. And look, it's even more critical now. Look at the world that we're living in. Yes. Yeah. You've got macro changes happening in real time and inflationary pressures all around. You have geopolitics that's really impacting the supply chain, the global supply chain, in a powerful way where companies are now moving from China to Mexico and nearshoring or even to the US and automating where they can. That impacts us in a very real way because that's inflationary. If you no longer are manufacturing your chips in Taiwan and you're bringing them to the US to manufacture them, that is inflationary. We are not as proficient at manufacturing as they are. And so you look all around and all of these inflationary forces are driving cost up and so you have two options pass along your cost to your customers and risk losing their loyalty or lower your profits those are your two options which one are you going to choose i'm thinking You're- option three i'm getting loop <laughs> that's right and and look you also have you have the world where there is no certainty in the supply chain anymore. You've got the yellow bankruptcy. You've got com- all these structural pieces of the supply chain are changing in a real way. And so supply chain 2.0 is really the only solution to embrace that ambiguity, to be resilient so that you can ensure you have profit.
0: Yeah. I think every time we get a new solution, the transportation management system, the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, this is the silver bullet. Boom! This solves every problem, but and it did. It's I'm not putting TMS down. It's it's just we realized we need a little more and a little more and a little more, and and now I think that one of the challenges we have is our data is often dirty, and how do we clean that up? And I love what you guys are doing. So if somebody wants to use Loop, first off, who's your sweet spot? Who's choosing Loop right now? What is the problem that they say? Oh my God, this is the last straw. I'm going to call
1: that, that salesman from loop back. What is the final straw? And they want to save money for a 3PL. That's labor productivity, and working capital for a shipper. You're looking at how can I ensure that I'm paying accurate payment amounts and how can I be sure I'm doing it appropriately on time with the right carrier at the right price and using my people as analysts, not processors and capitalizing on the same working capital on the other side. Those are the real companies that we work with. And what I would say is we work with upper mid-market to enterprise companies in both of those categories. And you're working, you you get up with small parcel, which has a ton of auditing, and it's not easy. It's small. Look at, even in the financial services space, we we work with JP Morgan. JP Morgan ships credit cards all around the world. That's a lot of small package. And so they leverage loop. To be able to ensure they're paying the right amount and have compliance across all of their different organizations yep.
0: so it's small parcel truckload which we know has some detention and stuff and ltl which has a lot of billing and, uh, invoicing issues and by the way when i was still me- managing freight i would always say we are going to measure billing accuracy as a kpi and we have to consistently get better because again i feel like there's so much there's not only there's money there but it's also a relationship issue if we're working together and I'm overbilling you, even if it's an accident, at some point, it, it's going to sour our relationship where you go, yeah, Joe, it, you cost me an extra $100,000 and I'm the one who's got to go in and talk to the boss about it. Yeah, absolutely. So how long does it take to implement a loop? And Is this when you implement as a standalone platform or does it integrate with my ERP or
1: my TMS or how's that work? So we're a modular platform, depending on the use case that you have. And we target go live as a core time to value for go live as a core KPI. So depending on what use case you are, if you want to roll out just visibility, you want to roll out audit payment, whatever it may be, your onboarding timeline will vary, but because of how we architected the system, we're able to optimize for, for fast go lives. And that ranges depending on your network, your size, which module you want to activate first. And it also ranges from shipper to 3PL.
0: Nice. Nice. And so I'm assuming this is you know happening in weeks rather than quarters.
1: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And look, we've talked to a lot of companies and they describe onboarding a freight audit pay company as open heart surgery. And that's why we, we built Loop because no one should have to go through that. If you use technology, it should be a lot easier.
0: Yeah. I think the expectation now is the integrations should not be open heart surgery. If it's not an outpatient, by the way, open heart surgery, I have a friend who got a stent and he said, yeah, he guess you go in the morning, they send you home. I'm like, really? I was like, that was like, that was a big deal a generation ago. That just ha- That is an expectation I think we all have is that it has to happen quickly. And the time to value, I love that you guys are measuring that kind of stuff because if you don't get, win them over early, and you lose them
1: (laughs) your your relationship is set in the first few weeks
0: yep matt put a bow on this one
1: final thoughts on the topic there's a ton of opportunity here for any company that is struggling with this today you might even not know you have the problem but the problem is there it is a tax that is being paid by the american consumer uh, because of all of these inefficiencies and the most innovative companies The supply chain 2.0 companies, whether you're a 3PL or a shipper, can benefit from unlocking profit trapped in their supply chain with Loop's modern audit and pay platform.
0: Excellent. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to your website, any of the links you and your marketing team give me. I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. Matt, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, rock stars in our space. Who
1: else should I talk to? Oh, that's a good question. I would do Jesse Buckingham at, at Buma. They're doing a lot of interesting things in the order entry space for brokers and carriers. I'm a big fan of what they're doing.
0: I just met Jesse at TIA the week before last. By oh, the no way. And he won the TIA Technovations Shark Tank. Yeah, I would love to interview him. And he's an Australian guy, right?
1: Yeah, that's not a surprise. He's a terrific operator.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very impressive. Very impressive guy. I, so yeah, I'd love to interview Jesse. So I, I, will, tell him I, I will tell him you set me. What conferences will we see you
1: and your team at? Coming up in Phoenix, we have the Gartner Supply Chain Planning Summit that we will be at. I believe that's the end of November. And then we're also going to be at the SMC3 Jumpstart Conference in Atlanta in January. Awesome. Awesome. I'm
0: not going to be at either one of those, but I hope to see you soon at one of these conferences. I can only get to so many of them. It's tough to be on the road all the time. It's a full-time job. I know. I know. I really do appreciate you taking the time, Matt. And I'm glad you differentiated between you and the other loop. Thanks, Joe. It was really a great conversation and good to see you. Yep. Thank you very much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time onward and